0: open the word of the Lord to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Today I'm going to talk about covenants. Children, be dismissed. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Praise the, Lord. the word of the Lord reads as follows Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that is, at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. From the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world but now in christ jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of christ amen we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of christ we were once called uncircumcision and now we are the circumcision Father, we thank you for your word. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, by your spirit, Lord, let this word come forth and touch the hearts and the minds of your people. Uh, Lord, that we might truly understand covenant and walk in your covenant. And Lord, that we might understand the power of your covenant, that you as the covenanter, you are faithful. And you have the authority uh, to activate covenant You have the authority to make covenant effective and ratify covenant. So Lord, we praise you for it. And thank you, Lord, that we are part of the new covenant. And it was signed by the blood of Jesus. So it's in effect, it's standing in in the natural realm and in the spirit realm. We bless your holy name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, uh, uh, Jose, for putting that thing on me. Appreciate it. Alright, maybe seated in God's presence. So, when we talk about covenant, we're talking about an agreement of, of two people. They come together and they share uh, their authority. Uh, they, they share um, items, as it were. Um, they make all things common among them. It's the uh, uniting of identities and even the exchange of assets and liabilities. And that's important because God is a God of covenant. And even um, in the New Testament, Jesus called um, what he was doing, he said, this is my blood in the new covenant. So there was a covenant that uh, Jesus talked about and ultimately Jesus ratified at the cross of Calvary. And the blood covenant is the heart of God. So I'm going to talk to you the next couple of minutes about that. And I'm going to share with you a story that I heard uh, this past Thursday and Friday at a retreat. Uh, Pastor Walt Healy was sharing it, and I, uh, I appreciate the way he shared it. So I'm going to share it the same way with you so that we could understand covenant and understand God's heart towards you, how much He loves you, and really how much has been taken away from you, how much you've been lied to. But before I say that, I want to share you another thing that I believe the Lord shared with me to uh, talk to you about. And that is that uh, I don't know if there's a storm coming or if the storm already happened. But there's a storm coming, um, and I know that there's a global storm on its way, a national storm. But I'm still asking God for wisdom as to whether or not he was talking about a local storm uh, that we have to worry about. or Not worry, but, but uh, be aware of, because we don't have to worry. We just have to be aware. Uh, and this is a type of storm that that the enemy is bringing, and his goal is to sweep everything away. He wants to sweep your home away. He wants to sweep sweep your goods away. And he wants you to be so overwhelmed that you just give up and give in. You hear what I'm I'm saying? I'm not just talking. I got this yesterday. And so there is a place that's higher than the storm. And God doesn't want you... In the storm, all messed up, all confused. Um, I saw even almost like a whole storm coming in, literally dragging the house away and taking it out into the sea. And the only way that will not happen is if we're anchored to the rock. And I'm concerned because many Christians are anchored to their emotional state. They're anchored to things, to stuff. They're anchored to things that are not the truth of God. They're not God's word. So we need to reassess, be very careful and reassess what we're putting our hopes, our dreams, and our trust in. Because if we don't, then what will happen is when that storm comes, and it could be very possible that this storm is literally on its way. Prophetically, there are um, statesmen who are sharing uh, that we're in the midst of a storm brewing financially. On a, on a national economic level. Right now our government has been very strongly manipulating the fi- finances so there would not be another recession. And, and by that I'm saying is they're literally printing money just over and over and over again to cover liabilities that haven't been paid. Problem is you can't get out of debt by getting more into debt. So we can't do it as a state if you don't have the budget for it, you just have to lay people off or rather you can't grow your government if you don't have the monies to do it. You can't build that bridge if you don't have the monies to do it. You have to ask the Senate, you have to ask the the Congress, you have to ask uh, whatever, your local uh, people that are in charge of the money to do that. But Washington is doing that. And because there are other things that are happening that if they don't do it now at this point, keep on throwing money at our economy, uh, there'll be a, a very strong recession. Having said that, sometimes the best medicine is hard times for a season. So are they making a mistake, or are they doing the right thing? I'm torn, because I don't want the checks to stop going out to people that need them. But by the same token, the way the government's doing it, they don't stop that and start pulling back at a given time, then it's going to fall apart anyway. So I also know that uh, uh, the, the, what they call the G20 and the world financial leaders have been getting together already, because they know what's happening. We don't, and they're not going to tell us either. All they do is tell us some message that they've agreed to, uh, to placate us. But in reality, there's a storm coming. So the best way for us to handle the storm is first be anchored to the rock. Amen? Which is Jesus. Uh, Number two, uh, get your house in order. Because if you get your house in order and things happen, your house is in order. So you could ride the wave. And you won't get swallowed up by the wave. And I'm also concerned that too many of us have bitten the lie that the same way Washington is doing it, which is just, if you owe, open up another credit card and pay that one. It'll be all good. No, that is a huge mistake. You don't pay credit with credit. You pay credit by stop going to the movies, cancel um, HBO if you have to, for a season, and pay back little by little. I know I'm getting no amends on this one. (laughs) Because some of you, you just got to watch your novelitas, right? You got to have your TV, otherwise you die, right? No. There are people right now that don't have TV. Hello. You know, but how am I going to keep up with the news? Read a newspaper? You know, get on your smartphone, because everybody has a smartphone now. Even children have smartphones. And you can look it up. You can go to different types of sites. But, you know, sometimes in order for us to get in order, we have to stop the things that got us into disorder. Amen? Amen? What did I say? You want me to say it again, right? Sometimes I just say it and I'm not even... No, what I'm saying is, in order for us to deal with in the coming days, because there's clearly a globalized effort to, I guess, bring all the nations into parity. So in order to do that, the third world nations have to go up in value and America's way of living has to go down somewhat. That's what they're, that's, It's a globalized effort. We're used to a lot of excess. And of course, time we watch TV or see a commercial, that continues to feed that thought. And I don't know how to say it to us, to burst our bubble, but we cannot continue living that way, living on credit and living beyond our means. If you, if you don't do it voluntarily now by revelation, later on you'll do it by crisis. All right, so um, there is a storm brewing, but God's telling us in advance not to worry us, but so that we could be aware. I mean, if you have a couple of dollars in the bank, if you have uh, three to six months saved, uh, it's hard to do that. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. It can be done. Uh, Two of our leaders, they're not here today because uh, Minister Al, he's working, he's teaching in the police department today. It's once a year he has to do that. But they literally journeyed with us or we journeyed with them as they got themselves out of, I think it was $50,000 out of, of debt. And they chronicled it with us and they spoke to us. They went to the front and spoke about their journey. And I remember the day they celebrated with us when they were out of debt. Amen. And they didn't have any rich uncle. What they did was little by little, they paid it off. They, they tightened their belt a bit and they paid it off. Amen? Amen? So uh, people of God, no excess, only the necessary things in the coming days. Because it's not just having enough for you to eat. God says you'll have enough to eat. But how about your neighbor? When their crisis hits, aren't we supposed to be salt and light? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yes. Do you know the absence of salt in your body will kill you? Did you know that? Salt is essential. Oh, salt gives uh, high blood pressure. No, no, no. A lot of that bad salt does. But if we eat salt in the proper moderation, it gives us electrolytes. It gives us, it, it actually helps your body. Uh, to become alkaline for whatever reason. It works with your pancreas and other things to help you uh, to, to be able to work properly. Um, and we as salt in our community, we're the ones that keep that morality alive. We're the ones that keep the love of God, the hope of God alive. What other hope is there without Christ? What hope do people talk about? Huh? Well, the hope, I, I tell you, one of the hopes they talk about, how about Saturday at 7, 8? 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night, when they're all lining up to play the lotto. (coughs) Have you seen the hope on those people? I see them. Sometimes I go in and I live like a block away from one of those small stores that sell the the lotto. And you see the lines. Oh yeah, man, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You're not going to do anything except spend $10 or $40 or $100. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to repeat the same thing next Wednesday. But unfortunately, that hope is not a solid hope. Yeah. But we have a solid hope. Yeah. Our God will provide for us. He'll give us wisdom. But we have to, once again, reconnect with Almighty God. Amen. We have to reconnect with His heart. And God will give us strategies in this day. I'm very excited. Right now, there are some things. Uh, God has connected me. with we're, we're prophetic people. And we're, we're talking about finances the right way. We're talking about investments. Uh, you know, so I'm excited. I'm not scared. I say, okay, good, because if this part of the economy goes down, I'm actually going to make money. You understand? There are strategies today. But if we walk around with our heads in the clouds all the time and we don't think of organizing our life to be able to deal with the storms of life, then the only thing that will happen is when the storm comes, you get swallowed up, right? But a person that says, I know a storm is coming, what, what is that you do? How? No, no, natural storm. If you know a storm is coming, what do you do? Food, water. medical hmm? Food, water. Medical supplies. Food, water right, 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 right. And you see, we react. When we hear that Sandy's coming, first thing that most people did was, ah, they're always talking about that. Ah, ah I'm not going to do anything this time around. People stayed in their homes. I know because I knew some of them. Ah, it's not going to happen. They're always talking about always exaggerating. Sandy came, and suddenly it wasn't an exaggeration. You know? But there were people that believed the report, and they went ahead, they bolted their doors, they put wood on their windows, right? They put sandpacks around their homes, and then they bought the, the necessary things beforehand. They didn't wait for the storm, because when you wait for the storm, and then you run to the supermarket, what are you going to find? <laughs> Lots of empty space in the aisles and the shelves. The aisles and the shelves, a lot of mess and no, no food, Right? What we did in our building is, I have a 30-story building that I live in, and I manage the property. So we, we put like L strips, photoluminescent strips on every step, like little Ls. So as the people lost power, they, they were able to walk down the stairs and see their way through. And it was inexpensive. I didn't have to spend $300 per fixture. I was able to actually get them up and down uh, you know, with, with a modicum of safety, so to speak. And uh, number two, we had lots of flashlights, Uh, we turned off all the power, we turned off the elevators, so nobody would get stuck in there. Uh, We prepared for this, and then uh, we had, uh, what else, Um, candles, we had everything we needed for the the mess, and we weathered the storm. Oh, you know what else we got? Our building is on, it it goes sub-basement, so it's sub-sewer. So all our stuff goes down here, needs to be pumped up and then out. Well, guess what? How do you pump up and out if there's no power? Yeah, you would think there's an OO. You know what I did? I bought a generator. So I had a generator. So we were charging our phones with the generator. We were pumping everything up and out with our, with our nice uh, sump pumps that we purchased just to be able to... See, in other words, we prepared for the storm. So... You know, okay, yeah, it was a little cold in the apartment. You know, but I dealt with it. You know why? Because I was prepared for it. Same way, spiritually, you need to understand there's no fear in this. You know that God is saying, you know, we're in for a bumpy ride. When you're in a plane and suddenly the seatbelt's turn on, what are they actually telling you? Get ready because turbulence is on the way. Now, does that mean that there's trouble? Turbulence is an absolutely normal thing. How many of you hate turbulence in an airplane? You get on an airplane, suddenly I, I don't like that. It just seems so unnatural because I'm already flying on air. Uh, right. I was like, this is air. There's nothing under there. But yet, yet, they are guys that their full-time job is to take a plane and run into a hurricane. Their full-time job So from the beginning, when they take off, already it's bad weather, so they're in... As they get closer to the storm, what happens to the plane? (laughs) Meanwhile, these guys are in the plane, men and women, in the plane, and they're playing with computers and checking everything out, creating graphs on the... Oh, yeah, you got this many millibars and this much this and that. They're working. I'm not going to be able to work in a situation like that. (laughs) They're, They're so used to it. They're so you, they are at peace in the middle of a storm, because they know everything's all right. They know their atmosphere, they know their environment. They know it's going to come and it's going to go. I'm going to take off on a do my job. I'm going to come back home. Everything's all right. So in the midst of these storms, when God speaks to you and He prepares you, it's so you could be ready to be a blessing, while other people are freaking out. Other people go, Oh my God, Oh my God, you know the sky's falling. You go, oh, Come here a second. Calm down. Pray for them, help them, bless them, and get them in a place where they're also at peace. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So you're a covenant people, so you need to know this by revelation now. I don't know when this storm is going to hit. I just know the Lord showed me that there's a storm. It's on its way. It's a nasty storm, but (coughs) there's a place above the storm, because God also showed me also that place above the storm. That's where we need to be. And watching it, and then bringing direction, praying, interceding, not... Not being afraid, but giving direction and getting the wisdom of God and helping others because we ourselves will be in the place of peace. Praise God. We're all right with that? Amen. You're not freaked out about that, right? No. I'm not freaked out. I appreciate it. I, I said, thank you, Lord. So I know what I need to do. So anyway, back to covenant. The blood covenant is the heart of God and David is one of the finest examples that we see in scripture about a man who understands the covenant mindset of our Lord. Twice, when he was fighting Goliath, he he called him an uncircumcised Philistine. And the word uncircumcised is one outside of the covenant of God. You know in the Old Testament, or maybe you don't know, but I'll share with you. When God made his covenant, one of the signs of that particular covenant, in other words, an agreement with man. He told his men of old, this is going to be the outward sign of the covenant. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you going in, coming out. I'm going to bless your store, the fruit of your womb, your basket. I'm going to bless you. Your job is to outwardly expose that covenant to the world. And so part of the covenant was that men had to actually circumcise themselves. It was a bloody mess. It had to be done voluntarily. And this was their, their proactive agreement. Covenants in the Old Testament and in the, in the old days were very, very liturgical. They were amazing and they were gory also at the same time. There was always a, a shedding of blood. And when two groups were always coming, were coming together, what they would do is first they would agree on the covenant. They said, what do we agree for each other? And then they would come into agreement that from now on we'll be known as one tribe. And then to make that official, they would... Kill a large animal, split them down the middle, right? And then both of them would pass through this animal and do a figure eight. Right? They would both do a figure eight. The figure eight is symbolic of infinity, it's a forever covenant from this moment forward. Then they would decree the covenant to each other, and the covenant would talk about the rights and, and the, the blessings, and also the curses of the covenant. If anybody would, would break the covenant. And so it was a very uh, an involved, engaged moment. But from that moment on, those two tribes would actually share each other's riches. Uh, they would share their lives together. It was an amazing thing. And God himself is a God of covenant. From the beginning, when God had to deal with man. Remember when Adam sinned? And he presented himself before God when he realized suddenly he was naked. What happened? God somewhere or another, out of whatever whatever way, way he did it, he got animal skins and covered Adam. Where did the animal come from? See? Yeah. God literally cut the first animal for Adam. So from the beginning, there was always that covenant thing. One day he told uh, Abraham, Abraham, because you've done this, because you have shown yourself loyal to me, you have guarded my covenant, I swear by my own name that I will bless you. You're going to be a blessing to all the nations, right? So God covenanted. In this case, he had nobody to covenant with in terms of uh, at his level, but he covenanted with himself. He swore by himself, by his own name. He said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. Uh, not just this generation, but future generations. Not only future generations, but all the nations will be blessed by your action today. All right? So I'm just touching on that, but later on we'll go a little deeper. But let me just mention this. First, let's go to First Samuel, talking about David and him understanding the covenant heart of God. David had a very good friend. He was older than him, about 20 years older. But they, they were—I mean they were friends, bosom friends. Jonathan. You ever heard of Jonathan? Jonathan was the, the son of the current king, Saul. And they developed an awesome friendship. Jonathan was a warrior like David was. And they just loved each other. They were best of friends. They fought together. But there was a problem. Saul, Jonathan's father, started going insane. He started disobeying God. He started breaking God's law. He started disobeying God. And little by little, Saul's kingdom started being snatched away from him little by little god started increasing david and he started bringing down saul jonathan sees that and he goes i know exactly what's going on here and he went up to david and he told david this is what's going to happen god's going to take the kingdom away from my dad and he's going to give it to you and i want to stand by your side because i know who you are i know you after the spirit I know you're a man of God, you're a man of integrity, and I know God is raising you up for this time. And I love you, and I want you to be the best, and I'm going to serve you. Meanwhile, the prince is telling that to a soldier. See, but this guy knew by revelation. So in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14 through 17, uh, uh, Jonathan tells this to David, And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I might not die, But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, when the Lord God has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So now you have Jonathan and David vowing to each other. We'll take care of each other. David said, I'll take care of you. If God raises me up to that place, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your children. I'll make sure you're taken care of. And Jonathan said, well, vow it again. And David says, I do. I vow with all my heart. Good. And then Jonathan felt good. And here's what happens. Things start getting worse and worse and worse, worse for Saul. Saul goes into battle with Jonathan. They both die. The king dies. The king's son dies. Now we got a problem. The problem is, Jonathan had a son. Everybody knew him as Mephibosheth. 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 Just call him Meshi. Oh. So, so later on, when, when Jonathan died, he leaves this five-year-old son. And this boy, his, he was actually born not as Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. He was born as Meribah. That was his name. That was his birth name. Meribah means he that resists the idols, he that resists the devil, he that strikes against false gods. You find that in 1 Chronicles 8 and 34, wow. his original name. This boy was born with dignity. He was born with authority. He was born with royal rights, with birthrights and fortune and even servants. The problem was when his grandfather and father died The grandfather Saul was in a place of disagreement with God. Disobedience to God. And he refused God's counsel. He didn't understand covenant with God. He lost his throne. Saul did. And both he and his son Jonathan died in the battle. And lost everything. And the sad thing for Meribah. This kid. This five year old boy. Was that Saul had continuously tried to kill David. Throughout David's life. So his His throne had been inflamed or poisoned against David. So when they died, Meribah's nurse was so scared that she took the baby and started running away with the baby, fleeing from David, thinking that David was going to do harm to that little boy. When in fact, David had already swore covenant with Jonathan. He would have never hurt that boy. But as the nurse is taking the little boy, they both fall. The fall must have been severe because Maribal's legs were so destroyed that from that moment on, he was never again able to walk. So he became lame. Okay, you got that so far? So she takes him to a place called Lodebar. Lodebar means no pasture or wilderness. So now you have this king's kid, this prince, who's supposed to be living in the king's house, now in, a, in the wilderness, if you will, with no benefits, uh, shame, afraid, thinking at any given time that the new king is going to come and murder this boy. The nurse is afraid, everybody's afraid. My God, how could it, this have changed so rapidly? So we have a prince, all the covenants, the rights, circumstances now strip from him all of these rights and privileges. Now instead we see him living in a land of wilderness. And I want to submit to you that that story, although really happened, is actually something similar that happened to us. Because we, as God's children, should be living as princes and as princesses. But the problem is, is that the enemy has lied to us. This guy was born as Meribah. Somewhere along the line, they shifted and changed his name to Mephibosheth. And unfortunately, the name Mephibosheth, I wish it would have been a shorter name. It did not have in it the blessing that we knew as Meribah. Mephibosheth means, out of my mouth proceeds reproach. Why would they change this boy's name from one who fights against the enemy and wins? One that strikes down the devils to one that I'm a reproach. Wow, what a, what a shift in life. But in those days, names really represented your circumstance, your situation, your family, your, your, I guess your level of life, whatever it might be. So in 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3 and on. Look what it says. Once the king got established, once the king got settled down, the new king David, once he was in his throne, once he was, you know, he, he got rid of his, his true enemies, he sits in his throne. One of the first things he decides to do, he, say, he says this. Then the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I might, shown, I might show the kindness of God? Is there not somebody that I could show kindness to? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a, a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him out of the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, what's the first thing he does? He falls on his face, prostrated, before David, then David says Mephibosheth, and he said here is your servant, so David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather and you shall eat bread at my table continually and then he bowed himself Mephibosheth did, and he said what is your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I How could this prince go so low as to call himself a dead dog? Isn't that interesting? What a lie. All these years, nobody had told him that the king was seeking him to grant him peace and mercy and love and tenderness. All those years, he had heard that David was out to kill him. My God. So the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant. He said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring him the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all my lord, the king has said to his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of of the king's sons. Wow. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. So now he was a man and he had a son too. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and he ate continuously at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. My God. So here's the application today. Here's what I want to share. In Christ, God has already covenanted his blessing for you. You were lied to. You believed that God wants to hurt you because you made mistakes in the past. You believe that God's blessing was not upon you. You believe that because of your place, because of the experiences in the past, that that's it. You're never really going to achieve what God wants to do for you. Um, Nate got up here and he talked about two of his friends. I look at it this way. I look at it that you guys saw some things and experienced some things that God's going to use and he's raising you up as princes in this city to be able to explain to these other young men and women that they were also lied to. They should be walking around as princes and princesses, and instead they think that everything has been taken away from them. They think people want to hurt them. They think God doesn't love them, but the devil is a liar. God loves them, and the king himself is looking for them to be able to restore their rights, their privileges, uh, amen, their, their benefit, their name, by the way, glory to God. God wants to restore them. And so He's priming you guys. He's prepping you guys. He's restoring you so when you go back, they'll be able to see it in your face. They'll be able to see it in your lifestyle. They'll be able to see it in your testimony. They'll be able to see it in your life. They'll be able to see it as you walk your journey. Glory to God. God is restoring all that the enemy had taken away. Hallelujah. So God has covenanted this with us already. From the Old Testament, He had already determined to bless us. He had already determined to be kind to us in Christ. We know that through Abraham, eventually, the Lord Jesus Christ comes forth, the Messiah. So in Christ, we're all blessed. But we get the benefits also. The Bible says all who are of Christ, all who are in Christ, get also the blessings of Abraham. Abraham was blessed as a friend of God. He was blessed. He was very rich. Now, I'm not saying God wants to make us rich, but yes, He wants to make us rich. He wants to make us rich in relationship. He wants to make us rich in anointing. He wants to make us rich in wisdom. He wants to make us rich in that that knowing who we are in Christ. Walking in the peace of God, walking in the favor of God. And yes, He wants to provide for you. He wants to provide for all of your needs. And what He's going to do is He's not going to rain money from heaven. He's going to start bringing ideas and concepts and wisdom. He's going to continually connect you to the right people. Glory to God. I went to a retreat this week. I had no desire to relate with anybody. I went there after working a full day. You know that you work hard and then you're forced to go to something. How many of you work real hard, you're tired, and you got to go to a function that you really don't care to be at? But you have to do it. So you show up. We say in Spanish, Fui con el alma. I went with my soul, dragging my soul, right? But yet I went there, and man, I was so blessed. Because here I meet more people that are kindred with us here in the city. I met two folk that are building owners in the Bronx, and that's their ministry, and they've been doing it for many years, and they love to help people, they're not just owners, they'll help people get apartments, uh, the the wife even told me, if anybody needs an apartment, let me know, we'll take an application and help them, because they're Christians, they love the Lord, they're filled with the Spirit of God. And so I, I met them, and we sat down, we spoke. Uh, they have a, an apartment somewhere in, in Exit 7, Jersey. So if you need some time off, you need to rest, we have an apartment just for ministers. And we send you out, you go and enjoy. You know, somewhere in Vernon, somewhere. I went, oh, you know, I might take you up on that one. I <laughs> just might take you up on that offer. But it's, it's wonderful. I'm sitting down. I'm talking to these people. I talk to another pastor, another minister, and, and I, I was so enriched that suddenly I wasn't tired anymore. See, God will connect you with, with similar folk that have similar uh, uh, callings and similar giftings. Praise God. The enemy has lied to you. There is so much in store for you. So much that has already been set apart for you. Hallelujah. When I was 15 years old, I knew I was going to be an alcoholic. I just knew that I was going to die early. I just knew it until Christ told me that I was lied to. When I got to church and, and, the, and the spiritual fathers and mothers started saying, no, no, look what the word says about you. Look what, the, what God has in store for you. I said, oh my God, how come none of my family know that? I just said something that's very packed. How come my family doesn't know that? Why? Because I first had to tell you, and you were going to be the one that were going to bring it back to your family. Amen. Amen. And that's a prophetic word for somebody right here. So instead of complaining, you got to realize you're getting the revelation first. Wow. Glory to God. God said he's going to pour new wine over the church. Amen. But some of you think it's W-H-I-N-E. So you're whining before God. No, that's not the wine that God's pouring. He's pouring His power. (laughs) Pouring His grace. He's pouring His wisdom. So we as as princes in, in the house, because one of the things that David did, he's a representative of Christ. He said, that boy's family is going to be taken care of. First and foremost, I restore everything that the enemy took away. So prophetically, I want to declare and decree over you today that everything the enemy took away from your family, God's going to restore it in this generation. God's going to restore it to you. He's going to restore it to you. Hallelujah. Number two, then the king said, by the way, I want that boy eating at my table. So we know Jesus said that those that are not part of the covenant cannot eat at the the table of the master, right? But guess what? We now be children of God. So we eat at the master's table. And at the master's table, there's more than enough. King David said it himself by revelation. He said, you know, my cup runneth over. See, in that table, your cup runs over. Yeah, but you don't know my circumstance. It's irrelevant. God can turn your situation around in a heartbeat. I have many experiences in my life how God turned a situation that looked hopeless in a moment he has turned my situation around. He has connected me with the right person. Amen. He has connected me with, with uh, uh, whatever it may be. He, he, he has a way of opening a door that doesn't even exist. Amen. He says, he'll sit at my table. He restored Hallelujah. his name. I remember years ago when I was a teenager, I did not like my family. I did not like my, what was happening. I mean, I was ignorant too, of course. I didn't understand that they were ch- challenged in life also. They, they were victims of stuff. You know, but kids sometimes don't understand. Parents go through difficult times. You know, they, they just do. And we don't know that. So, and when, we, when we're younger, we tend to just look at a, in a myopic way at life. But as you get older, you realize, oh my God, things are tough out there. And parents struggle. And, and people who, who have uh, addictions, it's not easy to break out of it. So, but the point is, I was quickly developing the same addictions as my parents. We're gonna have. I didn't like that. I didn't like my my dad's name. I didn't. I didn't like my dad's first name because my dad's first name is Victor. So I'm actually a junior. I didn't like it. And then I remember when God changed my name. Now my name is a name of dignity. And finally, when I understood by revelation what Victor means, I said, You know, that's not such a bad name. (laughs) One day there was a prophet. Don't you understand? You are Victor. You are a conqueror. I look up the name victor. What does it mean? Conqueror. The winner. The one who wins. So in Christ, I'm a winner. In Christ, I'm a conqueror. (laughs) Glory to God. See? But it came by revelation. Because at age 15, I knew I was going nowhere. But when I got the word in my spirit, when I got the revelation of who I am in Christ, Christ already creating that new covenant for me, and I came in line with that. Wow. Now things change. Now I walk with my authority. Now uh, the name shifted. The, the future of the family shifted. See, we, we, have, we have a name that, that, that is connected with Almighty God. So now this is a royal. See, we're a royal priesthood, the Bible says. Hallelujah. So you, you have to understand that about yourself. You have to start looking at yourself as royal priesthood. Amen. Royal means part of the king's house. Priesthood is you represent the world and God. So you're that intermediary. So wherever you're walking, you need to understand that you represent Almighty God. You need to understand, you come from the king's house. Amen. Have you ever seen the way these princes walk around? Yeah. Do, do, do they walk around like this? No. no. They walk around, shoulders high up. <laughs> see, they're, they're, they're trained. Everything They, they, they just know. You, you don't see them messing around. And if they do, perchance, because that has happened from time to time, they get so, uh, oh, this is such a stuck-up life. I, I, I want some, you know, they, even when they have fun, they have to do it very, yeah, yeah, very discreet because they don't want to ruin the image because it's important because whatever they do impacts the entire nation. Come on, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So could it be that when we as princes and pr- princesses play the fool, it impacts the nation? See, that's why I, I, I don't have time to be playing games. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'll say a joke, I'll play around, but when I see things going the wrong way, immediately I back off. I back off. I have walked out of theaters. I have, I have done sometimes unusual things because there's some places I cannot go to because I know my nature. The Spirit of God dwells in me. I want to honor my God in everything I do. And sometimes when I do blow it, immediately the Spirit of God convicts me exactly conviction wells up immediately I go oh 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 sorry Lord sorry that should not be coming out of my mouth see because death and life are in the power of my tongue so the Bible says so I'm going to speak life I'm going to speak encouragement I'm going to speak correction I'm going to speak to help people find their destiny I'm not going to be destroying people I want to be building people up amen so say say, say to your neighbor it's time to start building people up Tell, tell them we're salt and light Amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. ooh we praise the Lord. One time in Genesis chapter 22, the angel of the Lord, Genesis chapter 22, verse 15 through 18, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. He said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing. You have not withheld your son, your only son. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven." And as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of the enemies, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Notice, it is not just to anybody, it's to those who obey His voice. Psalms 25:10. Psalms 25:10, we read from verses 10 through 14. "All of the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such that keep his covenant and his testimonies for your name's sake. No, notice the covenant. Those who keep the covenant and his testimonies for your name's sake. O oh Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord. So there are secrets that the world doesn't know of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant so there's a covenant God has already promised what did David do first thing he gets on the throne he says who can I show tenderness and mercy to who can I show kindness to why because he was a, a keeper of the covenant and there's no person here on earth that's a more perfect keeper of the covenant than almighty God himself so, in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm, I'm landing now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and we'll also read verse 13. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that anybody else, or rather less than anybody should boast. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So David is a perfect picture of God's heart, extending kindness to Mephibosheth by restoring his name, his birthright, his fortune, his dignity. And he brought him to David's own table to eat at the table as a son, not as a visiting dignitary. So it's time for us to realize that we've been crippled in the past by circumstances, situations. We've been crippled by lies, The enemy constantly tries to portray us in a wrong light or tries to veer us off because he knows that the day we know the truth, we will not be crippled anymore. We will not be hindered anymore. The word lame is disconnected from your journey. Lame doesn't only mean physically unable to walk, but also physically disconnected from your journey. So it's time to be able to eat at the table. It's time for restoration of dignity and a reclamation of your name and your birthright. Last verse I'm going to share. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We'll read from 8 through 10. Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners or separated from Him, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more now, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So God demonstrates His love to us. Now God will demonstrate His love through us. So during this season, it's a season where there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, on a global scale, we are certain. We know who we belong to. We know we're special. Not because we earned it, because he loved us. Mephibosheth had his name changed to show his current condition. Because he knew in the natural what, it, what, what he was going to be for the rest of his life. Living in a wilderness far from his father's house. But yet, the king restored him back to his place of honor. And that's just a, the, one of the most precious stories to what Christ on the cross did for us. Why he, why God became man, lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross representing us so that our rights and privilege, privileges would be restored back to us. That's what true Christianity is. It's not a religion. What it is, it's a, a, um, a reconnecting of God's family back to himself. It is a recognition of God holding up the covenant he made through Abraham. He said, in you all the families of the world shall be blessed. And so out of the loins of Abraham comes Jesus Christ. Wow. And today we in Christ have the same blessings and privileges. So when I walk the streets, when I do anything, any conversing, when I go for jobs, whatever it may be, I go with the full backing. Of the authority of Almighty God. And I know if I don't get something this moment, that's all right. He's got something for me. And what He has is always better than what I think I should have. So I'm not gonna worry. I'm not gonna fret. I know He's in control. So my faith is not gonna be on things, my faith is gonna be in Him, the covenantor, the one who guarantees the covenant. So everything else will fall in line in the earth realm because of my relationship and my trust with him. When I pray and I declare and decree, I don't think that in and of myself I have power, but I know he does. And as his representative, let me put it this way. When Kerry, he's now the Secretary Secretary of State. When Kerry speaks in front of a microphone, he has to be very careful because he's speaking on behalf of the President of the United States. See, this doesn't come and haphazardly talk. He has a statement fully prepared, fully vetted by the office of the President of the United States before he talks. Because if he says something out of line, he could start a war. That's how come when I talk, I come as a representative of Almighty God in Christ. When I speak, I have to be careful because I know I set life and death in motion. I know I can set things the right way or the bad way. Our nature is to gossip. Our nature is to, oh, look at that. Yeah, look how he looks. Uh, he looks old. Now We look at each other and we compare each other. The hairdos, uh, the weight, uh, you know, the glasses, uh, the shoes. We're always criticizing each other, not realizing we're throwing power out there. Just misusing it, just destroying it. My God. See, but, but this needs to change because, see, and we also talk to ourselves the wrong way. We also destroy ourselves. But shift it now. Shift it to speaking life to each other. Shift it to, to speaking life to your community. Uh, those that hated you, love on them. Show them Christ. Model the love of God to them and for them. Amen. And in the coming days, you'll see the blessings that, that you'll provide because of your life the blessings you'll provide because of the word that you share, the life that you share with others.